Hey guys, this is the Beyond Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Parker. And so just before getting into the episode today, uh, I do want to just make my intention public of wanting to do this podcast once a week on Wednesdays, doing some Q&A type stuff, some just short form, uh, single topic episodes like today, and doing some uh, hosting certain guests as well. So just so everyone's aware there, just kind of figuring out my groove as far as getting back into the podcast. But today, like I said, just another short form podcast on one single topic, and that is sleep. And specifically, I want to give you three tips to have the best sleep of your life. And before I go into those three tips, just want to give you a little bit of background on the role sleep was played in my life. I know that up until probably the age of, say, 23 or so, which if you've listened to the podcast before, you know, that was when I made just a lot of changes surrounding my health and fitness and just my well-being in general. Um, That's the first time I really started focusing more on sleep. And I'd say up until that point, I could be kind of classified as someone who like is typical for many people, maybe even some of you listening to this, just kind of saw sleep as this thing I didn't need. It was like sort of that sleep is for the weak mentality. You know, we can sleep when we're dead. Trying to take advantage of my time as best I could by sleeping as little as I could get away with was my thoughts. And I really since then have evolved to appreciate how important sleep is and getting, if you can, over eight hours of quality sleep per night and how much that can change just the state of your well-being. You know, it's going to change everything from your body's ability to build muscle and burn body fat to regulate your emotions and just keep your mental health in check. So something that I've come to understand is super, super important. And I'll kind of give you some reasons and things like that. And obviously tips to how I optimize my sleep, but it's definitely something I neglected for a long time. I remember even in high school, neglecting sleep, maybe getting like seven hours a night or less, and oftentimes feeling tired throughout the day, sometimes falling asleep throughout the day. And that continued through uh, college as well. And again, like in large part, it was just kind of, I I, I often cite, um, you know, like I call it motivation porn on YouTube, where it's just some Jocko Willink, David Goggins type character who's telling you, you know, you have to work hard and essentially be miserable to be successful. And I really bought into that. I always have wanted to be someone who's successful, but I think one of the biggest evolutions that I've gone through is just understanding that you have to work smart, not always hard. That's a saying I like to use a lot. And focusing on sleep for me is a great example of that. It's definitely a lot harder and feels more difficult and kind of, I guess, gives you a weird sense of like self-discipline or even just self-flagellation just to, you know, neglect sleep, be tired, push through it, but truly you're going to be so much better off physiologically and just in terms of your mental state and your subjective well-being uh, if you're getting good quality sleep. So going into those three tips now, the biggest one is just developing a routine. So oftentimes we tend to think, you know, we can sleep undersleep during the weekdays and then make for a uh, make up for it on the weekends which obviously we all know is subjectively possible it definitely feels good to catch up on sleep and that can feel pretty regulating but as far as the 
physiological capability to truly make up for sleep, you know, use like a credit and debit system, so to speak, that's not really something that we see as being effective or really possible. And, you know, it goes back to, you can kind of imagine like our recent ancestors who were not able to use artificial lights or anything of that nature. And they just would go to sleep when the sun went down, because that's what you would do. And that's really more or less what we're geared to do. And they would tend to sleep, you know, pretty regularly every night for the most part uh, at the same time, which is something that we'll get to. But yeah, as far as fat accumulation can help us to store energy, that's something physiologically we evolved to have the capacity to do because it's advantageous because sleep has always been a pretty consistent thing. You know, you don't have to go and and hunt for sleep. There's not typically as far as our um, ancestral experience periods of uh, feast and famine when it comes to sleep. It's something that's that's been relatively pretty tightly regulated until probably like the last, you know, call it 50 to 100 years. We really haven't efficiently evolved to have a mechanism to, again, store sleep to kind of use like sleep credit and debit, like I said. So making sure that you have a consistent routine, it's really helpful to try to get up and go to bed at the same time, even on the weekends. Um, oftentimes we can notice the jet lag that comes from, you know, I'm, I'm in mountain time. If I go to my, go see my brother in New York, uh, I'm on Eastern time for a little bit and I notice that jet lag. It's very obvious, but often we don't really give credit to that social jet lag of like, if you're out having drinks with friends or if you're watching Netflix until 12 o'clock, one, two in the morning on the weekends, and then you're going to bed during the week at 10 and waking up at six and those weekend days you're waking up at nine or 10. That's like a two, three hour or more jet lag. Um, Sorry, social jet lag, they call it um, that you're, experiencing. And again, just really trying your best to, and you don't obviously have to be completely neurotic about this, but just hopefully within an hour, maybe two hours at the most, ideally, you're trying to go to bed and wake up at the same time each day. Uh, Other aspects of your sleep routine actually start early in the day. And what I mean by that is we want to try to regulate our circadian rhythm, which that's essentially just our sleep and wake cycle, which is largely by our exposure to sunlight. So you may notice if you're like me, since it's daylight savings time right now, the sun's going down really early. I find myself being ready for bed a lot sooner because that's just kind of what my body is becoming accustomed to. Your body really, as long as you're being hopefully exposed to the sun at some point during the day, whether it's just like a brief uh, or if you can afford it, you know, hour long ish walk outside, that's great. I love to just make sure I take at least five, 10 minutes, if nothing else, to get outside into the sun in the AM before noon so that my body acclimates to uh, and understands like, okay, it's morning now that sets up your circadian clock, so to speak. And it's interesting, people who know more about this stuff than me have cited that this actually doesn't really work through like windows or anything like that. So you can open up the windows in your house and certainly it's but there's really no substitute for being out in the sun to really set yourself up in terms of circadian rhythm wise. Um, That definitely ties into the last point about going to bed and waking up at the same time. Those are kind of serving 
purposes. And then another part of that is making sure you're not doing anything that's too stimulatory before bed. One really notable thing, because I know that caffeine or coffee is probably a part of most of our lives, trying to cut that off at least eight hours, if not more like nine or 10, 11, 12 hours before bedtime, which I know for some people, depending on your habits around caffeine can seem like a really long time, but they've shown again, in studies and things of that nature, that caffeine can really last a long time in your system. The half-life tends to be at least six hours. So to flush most of the caffeine, if not all of it, hopefully out of your system, you need eight, nine, 10, I would say between eight to 12 hours of cutting it off before bedtime. So if you go to bed at 11 p.m., you know, trying to be done with caffeine at 11 or at least noon at the latest um, would be a good way to set yourself up for success. And then to continue on that focus on stimulation, we want to make sure we're not too stimulated right before bed. So having like even a five to 10 minute routine where you wind down, maybe take a a hot shower, read a book, you know, watch your favorite show, anything like that, just not trying to have like, you know, a stressful conversation or, you know, play like a really intense video game or, you know, do something super loud or anything of that nature right before you go to bed will be very helpful. Um, you've probably heard of the hormone cortisol, which is essentially our stress hormone. And you hear that it sounds like maybe an inherently negative thing. It's definitely not inherently negative. And like many things with the body, it just requires context. So cortisol is helpful because it is what makes us alert early in the day. So you want to just make sure that you're maximizing, not maximizing cortisol production per se, but getting your maximum amount of cortisol in the morning. And again, this taps back into that circadian uh, rhythm, circadian alignment, but cortisol can be set off by many things. Again, things that are going to be stressful, loud, like I said, video games, um, any sort of stressful conversation or what have you. Caffeine is going to act on our cortisol. And, you know, again, for most people in a way that can be inherited or rather interpreted as beneficial. But again, you have to make sure that ideally you're seeing that those levels peak early in the day and then really trying to minimize stress. Maybe you meditate or something like that would be another good example before going to bed. And hopefully, you know, a good routine can kind of set your body up to be ready to sleep as well makes me think of like how if you've ever had uh, a dog, you know, you get your shoes on, you get their leash, they become accustomed to they're ready to go walking. Obviously, they see that the signs are there. And hopefully we can kind of start to do that to our body where we have this routine, this winding down routine and your body goes, okay, I'm ready for sleep. I'm eager for, for sleep. I know that it's that time now. One other thing you want to do is within the last two to three hours before bed, or at least hour, try to avoid blue light. Uh, which is going to be the light that comes from any of our gadgets, our phone, TV, computer, and try to avoid any bright overhead lights as well. It, it's it's best if you can to start turning down the lights within an hour or two before bed. Um, you know, maybe use just lamps or things that are just very dim if you do need lights. I personally, like many of you probably like to watch some TV often at night. And so the way I combat the blue light is I do wear some blue light blocking glasses, which have been um, pretty relatively, uh, reliably shown to help. As far as my knowledge, I definitely feel the subjective benefit when I do and don't wear those in terms of ease of getting to sleep. And I think just something else that I want to point out here too, is when it comes to like caffeine intake or 
blue light or anything like that, that's going to disrupt your sleep. Maybe you're one of those lucky people who finds it's really easy to fall asleep quickly and you don't have a problem with that. But all these things you have to pay attention to and try to optimize if you want really good sleep, because they're going to impact the quality of your sleep, even if you don't necessarily notice, or again, like even if you don't have trouble falling asleep at night. So we talked about regularity. We talked about circadian rhythm, talked about ways to manage cortisol. And one more habit I would kind of make somewhat related to or relate to um, be not having blue light incoming within the last two to three hours before bed is make sure you're not having a huge meal within like an hour to three hours before bed, if you can help it as well, because when you're, you have all that food to digest, it typically can make it harder to fall asleep. So make sure that you're eating dinner like three, four hours before bed typically is going to be best. You know, you can definitely have like something light to eat, like a snack or whatnot, but doing your best to not just have dinner within an hour or two of going to bed and then getting in bed, you know, with a full stomach, even if you can go out for like an evening walk, that's going to help your digestion too. If you're eating a, a dinner pretty close to when you're falling asleep. And then uh, the last note here that I forgot to include with the routine piece with going to bed and waking up at the same time, it's interesting to me how, you know, off, obviously most of us have an alarm to get up in the morning, but why then don't we make it as common to have a sleep alarm? I mean, obviously I get it. You know, it's not like we don't have that same sense of importance where, you know, in the morning, most of us have to get up and go to work or we lose our job. So there's obviously a lot at stake there. But I think that as long as you start to treat your sleep as as sacred as it is, and as long as you want to do your best to improve your sleep quality, it's really helpful to try to have a sleep alarm of some sort, or just, you know, maybe a reminder that's, Hey, you know, it's 10 o'clock start to get into your sleep routine and, you know, hopefully get in bed within the half hour or whatnot. So second tip here, moving on to the second tip is to optimize your sleep environment. So the biggest one here, the biggest thing that I've noticed has made a huge, huge difference for me in terms of sleep quality and quantity is to not allow my phone into the bedroom. And I know a lot of us enjoy like that late night scrolling uh, on our phone in bed, maybe, you know, doing other things, texting people in bed. And I understand this can be a hard one to break, but I promise from personal experience, it's so helpful again, in terms of both sleep quality and sleep quantity equally, because you don't kind of have that stress for checking your phone, you know, worrying what's going on your social media or whatnot, um, as much when it's in the other room. And then of course, you don't have that temptation to be on it, which can be a huge distractor from sleep. So I would tail off that and say, just treat your bedroom like a sleep sanctuary. So really try to make sure that it's as cool as possible. There's evidence that you uh, down to a temperature of about 65, 66 degrees, which is obviously very cool. Um, we can see better sleep. So at least if you can get, you know, 70 degrees or below, I think is, is great. I prefer even closer to 67 ish, but nice, cool environment, you know, turning a fan on, obviously, if you don't want to like crank the AC, you know, you have a big house or something like that. Um, but making sure that you're not regularly watching TV, working, eating, doing anything else, in bed besides sleeping and a little extracurricular activities with the man or woman of your choosing. Um, but yeah, just making sure that your bed and your bedroom is a sleep sanctuary, uh, making sure that it's very dark, using some blackout curtains if you have light coming in often, 
Uh, just making sure that, again, when it comes to that association, like I talked about, you know, when your dog sees you put on your shoes and get the leash, he knows it's time for a walk. You want your body to learn this association with like, okay, I'm in my bedroom, I'm in my bed, it's time to go to sleep, it's not time to watch TV, work, you know, get on an hour of TikTok or whatnot. And I know some of these things, if you're not practicing them already, it's going to take some time and some focus to really make a part of your team, but it is super, super helpful. I can promise from personal experience. So just doing little things like, you know, take the TV to your bedroom, find to watch TV at night. Like I said, I do so try to wear your blue light blocking glasses, watch TV on the couch in the living room, you know, scroll on your phone outside in the couch in the living room, really just try to treat bedtime as time to close your eyes and go to sleep. Um, other things here in terms of environment, this is where I would make some room to just discuss uh, supplements. So like if you're someone who tends to toss and turn a small amount, and I would emphasize a small amount because I think any more than like a milligram or so can kind of cause some grogginess in the morning, obviously can vary by individual, but of melatonin and then taking some magnesium can be helpful as well. So of course, some of the normal caveat that supplements aren't going to make all the difference, just like they're not going to make all the difference in your training and your nutrition. They're not going to make all the difference as far as sleep. But if you're maximizing these, maximizing these other things and need a bit of help, that can be something that's beneficial. And then the last tip is just to make sleep as much of a priority as your training and nutrition. Often when I'm talking to new clients, especially uh, if they report, because we do ask them about their sleep habits, if they report like less than you know, seven hours of sleep per night. I'm often talking about the importance of sleep and how crucial it's going to be in helping them to build muscle and burn fat. And, you know, so many of us, so many people I see just on a daily basis as a coach are so focused and dialed in with the nutrition and training, but we often don't give that same focus to sleep because we don't see it as important, but it really is almost as important as nutrition and training. Um, there was actually a study done that was really interesting. Uh, it was done on sleep's ability to impact muscle gain and fat loss. And they took these two groups of overweight adults and everything was the same as far as like training and nutrition protocol. But one group, they let sleep five and a half hours a night. The other group, they let sleep eight and a half hours. And the first group, the underslept group, lost 55% less fat. They were both on a calorie deficit, but the former group lost 55% less fat and they lost 60% more muscle in the deficit. Whereas the group that got to sleep eight and a half hours was well slept, lost 55% more fat and they preserved 60% more muscle during the deficit. So that's how powerful sleep can be. That's really, really the most visceral example so just coming to the understanding that you're going to kind of have to make those tough decisions sometimes to, you know, delay that late night conversation or, you know, delay that next episode of Netflix. And not that you're going to be perfect, but like I hopefully relay often uh, with my messages around new training, new training, training and nutrition. I think I just tried to combine them. Um, you really just want to do your best to make consistently good decisions. Don't expect perfection, but, you know, start with where you're at. Focus on some changes you want to make and prioritize progress over perfection. So if you have any other questions on sleep, I'd be happy to answer them. You can reach out to me by email. It's jrparker95 at gmail.com or Instagram. I'm at jakeparker.fit. So I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you found this podcast helpful and informative. And I'm excited for you to tune into the next episode.